prayer, isn't it? You can have it all, Lord, every part of my life. And, and the most important part of it, of course, is you take you know, the, the breath of the Lord, the, the breath of the Lord, the life-giving breath of God, you know, um, breathed upon our life to do as he has called us to do. That's the thing that uh, I think is a prayer of every child of God, is it not? You know, it's when we say, take my life, Lord. And so and what we're saying is, Lord, my life as it is, and you breathe your life into my life. So you know what that means? That means my passions, my desires, my hungers, my thirsts, those things that I count important, Lord, no. But your passion, your desire, your thirst, your hunger for my soul, yes, Lord. You see, see that's, that's the choice, isn't it? That's what that song is all about. Because God has placed us, or every single one of us, and, you know, and, he, and, he, and he places us and he pours himself into us and through us to bring the blessing of his heart and his desire for mankind through us. And so the, the battle always is, you know, Galatians talks about how, you know, my spirit, our spirit wars with the God spirit, you know, the two are contrary one to another. There's this constant battle going on. You know, the, the, the fight that is within, and it's about surrendering to the reality of, of allowing God to, God to speak to our hearts and God to change us. So we look at God's word. What does God's word say about this? You know, what does God's word say about life? What does God's word say about marriage? What does God's word say about um, service? What does God's word say about? And we take that and we say, Lord, this is your desire. This is your passion. This is your heart for me. And everything that is of me that is apart from that, I want your life in, in me, Lord. So that's a great song. I love that song. I love that. I love the heart of it. And so, so um, how are you all? It's great to have Kylie back. It's great. I, I saw Kylie walk in with, with, with the girls, and they, I bet they're happy they've got mum back. Yes. And we, we'd love to, um, when, when you're ready, we'd love to hear about uh, some things that happened in Uganda. That'll be great. Um, um, you know what blessed me? You all blessed me this morning. You know what blessed me? To totally blessed my socks this morning. Look, I, I don't know you, man. I don't know you. Yeah. No, that's great. You know what? I saw you walk in with your, with your galoshes on and your overalls on, and I said, that's what church is about. That's what church is about. You know, the moment I saw you walk in, I thought, man, you, you, you took me back 2,000 years. Not me, but you took me back to a scene on the shores of Galilee where Jesus was preaching, you know, and all those gathered around, there they were. They didn't rush off and get their Sunday best on, did they? No, they, as they were, they came to the Lord, and, and I saw your work in, and I thought, that's church, that's Calvary, that's what we're about. So thank you, man. It's great to see you. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Yeah. Well, if we can help you out, let me know. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, that's what Jesus says. He just says, we come as we are. You know, uh, that's the God we serve. Isn't that right? Open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Having a little spell from Romans. Um, if you, if you know, uh, we've been in Romans the past few weeks, and we've gone through the first into the third chapter where where uh, the Apostle Paul is uh, 
seeking to identify mankind's greatest need. And what Paul's saying in those first three chapters, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter what your status is, every single one of us needs Christ. Every single one of us needs forgiveness. And that's the opening three chapters. We've come to the end of that passage. So I just want to take a little break from that and start in, just spend a week in Hebrews. Um, I heard Marty referencing um, Steve. Um, Steve's, uh, maybe sound asleep right now. Those of you that are online, you've seen the photos of the conference, have you? You know, I was so happy to see Steve there with Raul Reese and a few of those guys. They're people that have visited this church and they've ministered to us here. And Steve caught up with those guys in Hawaii, of all places. And, um, and uh, so he's... Uh, I'm just happy that he's alive because you know, I, was, I was really worried. <laughs> he's going to get there and just not know where to go. Um, but it's, it's great. Uh, so, if, Steve, if you're watching, I apologise for that. Um, um, okay. So this, these, these three verses here in, um, in the 13th chapter of Hebrews, familiar to us. Oh, um, let me just read them with you. I'm, I'm, okay, you've all beaten me to Hebrews, haven't you? You haven't? Okay. Are you there yet, Evelyn? Yeah. I got a. T- I got a. What, what's your name, Ben? Sasha. Sasha. Yeah. There's a story about the beginning of this church, not this church, but this this organisation, and uh, and these people have all heard it. But it, it started uh, many years ago. This church started in, in a place called in, in, in Southern California, and there was um, a lot of the the hippies coming to Christ in that stage. And they had, this, they had this little church building and the people were coming in and people were coming straight off of the beach in their wet clothes, covered in sand, and they were coming into church and they were sitting down on... The, the church was full and they were sitting down on the carpet in, in, right at the front of the altar here, you know. And, um, and all the, the older guys that had been in the church for a long time got concerned about these people sitting in the church with their dirty clothes and their sand and their wet shorts and all this sort of stuff. And the guys came to the pastor and said, hey, um, got to do something about these hippies, you know. And um, they're going to ruin our carpet. And the pastor said, well, if, if, if that's the problem, then guess what? Get rid of the carpet, you know, because we, we want the hippies as they are. Come as you are, God do the work in their heart. So, so again, I mean, that probably means nothing to you, but again, you, you bless me today. Thanks, man. <laughs> All right, let's get back on track. I've been... Um, Hebrews, what was I saying? This, these, these few verses, um, very familiar. It says, uh, you know these verses, don't you? Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing some have unwittingly entertained an angel or angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Those who are in mistreated since you yourselves are in your body also. Then he goes on to talk about the honourable state of marriage. And um, we'll, we'll, stop at verse, we'll stop at verse 3. Yeah, we're, we're just going to go to verse 3. Yes. I found this. Um, I don't know. Let brotherly love continue, that first verse. Let, let me read this. I found this just last night. It's a, it's a description of what a brother is. And we apply, we apply this to a sister as well, right? You know, a brother is a hallowed name. 
born of the same parents, nursed with the same untiring tender care, dependent on the same protection and sharing in the same blessings of the same common hearthstone, expectant heirs of a common inheritance. The tie that binds me to my brother is one most sacred in its nature and nothing ought to be allowed to injure, much less destroy this hallowed relationship. You like that? I like that. That's describing what a, bro- what a, a brother or a sister, let's say, is to us. And so he says... Let this brotherly love continue. You know what interests me about that? That's a command, by the way. You know, the thing that interests me about that command, let brotherly love continue, is the fact that you know, the writer has said it. You know, that, he, that he said that. When he says let brotherly love continue, the inference is, hey, brotherly love is there, right? That's the inference. The brotherly love exists amongst you but now it, but it's up to you to make sure it continues. You know, so we have this choice involved here. It's a command, but there's a choice in, in it, isn't there? To, to follow this. And we go to the Thessalonians, don't turn there, but it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, concerning brotherly love in the ninth verse, it says, You need not, so you need not that I write unto you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. He says, and indeed you do it towards all the brethren who are in all Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more. So there it is again, isn't it? You know, it's there, it exists amongst you. Brotherly love exists amongst all of us, but we have a responsibility to, to continue in it. You know, we read in John's gospel where John says, we know that we have passed from death unto life. Why? Because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother, John says, abides in death. The identifying mark of the resurrected life is that we love one another. And of course, Jesus gave that great command uh, on the last night of his life before his arrest and, and crucifixion. He says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples in that you love one another. All familiar verses, aren't they? But it's interesting to me when I look at that and I bring those together, this brotherly love, this love that we are to have towards one another, the love, it is within the child of God. That's what those verses tell us, don't they? It's resident within us. But it's also a sign of our regeneration. It's also a sign of our salvation. And it's also a sign that we are followers of Jesus Christ. Brotherly love, brotherly love says all of those things. Yet here the writer feels it necessary to tell these believers, and I believe tell all believers, us as well, that we need to keep on keeping on, you know. We need to choose to keep on loving one another. It's what we call, it's an imperative command. It's an ongoing thing. Now, I think it's worth mentioning when we look at these few verses, that these believers that are being written to, they've suffered a lot of loss, much loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. In fact, everything in this letter, by the way, if you're reading the letter of Hebrews, you've got to read everything in that context. That's a reality for them. And while persecution causes God's people to draw together in solidarity, that same persecution can also cause frustration between believers. I'm sure you've been on the, the end of someone venting, you know, a fellow Christian venting 
because they're being overwhelmed by hardship or, or suffering within their life, you know. It happens, doesn't it? You know, we, we sometimes just... <clears throat> happens to me all the time. Am I the only one? Am I the only one? No, it happens, doesn't it? What the writer is saying is, hey, talking to these persecuted believers, no matter what comes against you, no matter what it is, you've got to keep on loving one another. You know, that's what he's saying. Brotherly love must continue. It's a choice we need to make, especially in the face of times that are tough. I think when difficult circumstances drive us to the refuge of Christ, we often find ourselves erecting protective walls around us. Have you, do you know what I mean by that? Walls that can make us rigid, walls that can make us legalistic, even judgmental towards our own brothers and sisters. Example, you may have come out of um, an abusive relationship. Maybe it was alcohol or something like that and has fueled aggression and has caused you suffering. Maybe it's been verbal abuse. Maybe it's been emotional abuse. Maybe it's been, it's been physical or even, you know, even, even aggressive religious abuse. Maybe you've come out of those things, but now you've found Christ and Christ is a safe place, isn't he? A place where we will never again let those threats come against our lives. That's what I mean by we can build up these walls and separate ourselves from one another. And anyone, Christian or non-Christian, that has anything to do with those things, let's say with the alcohol side of things, we can, what happens is we can allow a rigidness to come into our relationship towards one another and can create not love but bitterness towards our fellow believers. Even resentment, even hatred, I've seen that take place because people have found that safe place in Christ yet because of their past they have not allowed the brotherly love to continue. But what we forget to realise is those people that may still be trapped in those things are seeking the same love, aren't they? They're seeking the same safe place so so i'm just citing those examples be aware of this this can happen within our own hearts so whether it's the stress of the the day or the result of bitter personal experiences brotherly love is something that we must choose to continue in as as believers do you ever or did you ever or have you ever considered the fact that um we are brothers and sisters you ever, do you ever stop and think about that? I know we say it a lot, don't we? You know, some of them may even have that word in your vocabulary when you meet a fellow Christian. But, um, but when you think about it, we are brothers and sisters. It's, it's a force of love, isn't it? It's a force of love within people. When I think about my children as a father, you know, and the force of love that is within me as a, as a parent. It's the most powerful thing in the universe. It, it really is. It really, really is. You know, I will always rise up for my kids. Parent, you know that, don't you? You will always rise up for your kids. I love them all. I love them all the most. I treat them all the same. Well, they may sometimes differ and argue over that. Um, but the point is... This is the thing. This is what I've noticed. As I have loved them, I look at them and they likewise love one another. That's an amazing thing. They love each other the same way. 
I know that my kids, see, I know about my kids, they will never abandon one another. I, I believe that with all my heart. I see it, I hear it all the time. They are always making decisions while they'll fight and they'll argue and they go through all those normal human relationships, all of those things. But I see them and I have seen them all the time as they have grown up, now that they are adults and got their own kids, I always see them making decisions regarding one another's well-being. Parent, isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? They love each other as you have loved them. And I cite that example because I am convinced it's exactly the same for our Heavenly Father. You know, the greatest joy I have in this world is seeing my kids, yes, doing well, we say, but even greater than that is seeing my kids loving them, each other. There's nothing more important to me. Nothing, you know. And I think it's the same for our Heavenly Father. I, I really do. Here's our family. You know, we've got this little group in this room. But the reality is there's millions of us in the world. There's millions and millions of us and we have one Father, one Heavenly Father. And you consider this, when this universe is over, when it has done its time and this universe ceased to exist, guess what? We are still going to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And the scripture tells us how good, doesn't it? How good and how pleasant is it for the brethren to what? To dwell together in unity. And that's not only, I, I think about that verse, and we often quote it, as, as, as I excite my examples, it's not only now, this is something that's going to go on into eternity. How good it is. How good it is. What does it say it is like? It says, how good it is and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments. This unity of love, he is saying, is an anointing on our lives. It's an anointing on our relationships with one another. It blesses. It blesses, it strengthens. He goes on to say in that psalm, and as the Jew of, of, of Hermon and of uh, the Jew that descends upon the mountain of Zion, from there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life evermore. See, this is what brotherly love produces within us. It brings life, brings a blessing. And that's why it's a divine duty. That's why it's something we have to continue in so let brotherly love continue but here's the thing don't let this is hard for me b words don't let brotherly love stop right there with your love one for another well notice what it says in verse two we've read this verse already it says but do not be not forgetful to entertain strangers Literally, do not forget to show love to strangers. And, and this is not what we think, you know. When, it, when it's talking about strangers here, it's talking about strangers within the community of believers. You know that? You know? It's, it's talking about, um, it's not talking about going out into the street and just finding a stranger. Well, there's place for that. That's not what this command about, is about. 
You see, in those days, you know, when you travelled, it wasn't the safest thing. The inns that you stayed at were not like the ones that Steve is staying in in Hawaii right now. You know, they weren't safe places to be. And so the idea here, idea here is, you know, you look after not only one another here in the common fellowship, but we look after the broader body of Christ, strangers to us, but yet brothers and sisters. We have a responsibility towards one another. That's the idea of it. Notice what it says. Um, For thereby, let's read it again. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And this is one of those verses that gets gets held up. And and people all have experiences they like to talk about. And... uh, and, and, and no doubt it's referencing back to Abraham. No, ba- no doubt the writer is thinking back to Abraham. How in Abraham, you know the story, was invited strangers in to enjoy rest and food only to discover that they were angelic beings, right? We know the story. Now the writer is not saying here, show hosp- hospitality to strangers because, hey, you never know, you might get to meet an angel. No, 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 that's not what it's saying. Nor is it saying, hey, show hospitality because you don't want to blow off an angel and you don't want that on your resume, right, when you go before the Father. You don't want that either. No, no. What he's saying is, it's very simple actually, he's saying the the very real possibility, he's saying, hey guys, look, look at our history. This has happened. It's happened in the past, and because of the very real, very real possibility of this happening, you sh- it shows just how highly God regards hospitality to his people. That's the idea of it, you know. The scripture repeatedly presses us, doesn't it? Or it presses the importance upon us of hospitality. Let me just quote a few verses to you. Romans chapter 12 says in verse 13, distributing to the, ne- to the necessity of the saints given to hospitality. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 9 says, you practice hospitality one to another without grudging. And in Timothy and Titus, the qualifications of someone serving in the body of Christ, serving in the church, hospitality is high on the list. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus Chapter 1, verse 8, you can read that. I, now, I believe um, hospitality is so highly, highly sorry, regarded because it's only when a person opens up their home that you really find out who they are. Isn't that right? You know? I mean, we can carry on with all the platitudes of love and fellowship and acceptance at church, can't we? We can carry on like that all we like, and we can give and we can give the substance to to some some noble causes to meet needs in, in all corners of the world. We can do all that, but it's not until you know this, brothers and sisters sit at a table together in their home environment. That brotherly love really is elevated as an experience, isn't it? When you invite somebody into your sanctuary, 
Now, this is the common sanctuary where we all meet together and we tell one another just how much we love one another and care for one another and want to be there for one another. And that's all great and wonderful. But the outworking of that only happens when our home becomes a shared sanctuary. Don't you believe that? I hope you do. Because we can skip around it all that we like, you know. And we, we have our programs, we have our dinners here at the church, you know. But it's not until I open up my home, my sanctuary, let me say it again, and invite you to be a part. What's the home? It's family, isn't it? Invite you to be a part of my family. That's when, that's when the truly, truly the unity of, of love is expressed and realized. You see me as I am. You don't see me at home wearing this, you know. I don't look like this, you know. And I don't act like this mostly at home. I do? Okay. You've been to my home? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the principle is I invite you into where I live, where I really, really live. Now, now here's the thing. I'm, I'm going to keep moving quickly, um, and I don't want us to miss this, but the Bible also says, you know, yet we show, we show love, hospitality to strangers, as I spoke in the context of strangers within the body of Christ, but most certainly and also to strangers in the context of unbelievers. Isn't that right? We've got to do that, don't we? What does Galatians tell us? It says in Galatians chapter 6, Let us do good unto all men, but like that it qualifies, but especially to the household of faith. But to all men, but especially to the household of faith. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both amongst yourselves and to all men. And Matthew, of course, in the Sermon on the Mount, we have Jesus saying, You have heard that it has been said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless those that curse you, do good to those that hate you, pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. And he went on to say, For if you love them who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only... What do you do more than others? Do not even the unbelievers do so? So we are called to love those outside of... I know this is not a surprise, but, you know, it's good to visit this verse. We're called to love those outside of Christianity. And yes, I know um, people have said and will say, hey, I've tried that and I got taken. Any of you get taken? Hey? If you did, I'm going to say join the club. It's a great club to be in. Here's the thing. If a man approaches you in the street and says, hey, I need $10 to feed my starving family, what are you going to do? What are you, what are you going to do? Assuming that they're not rolling drunk or obviously influenced by drugs, what are you going to do? Take them shopping, get them some food, same thing. Use good judgment, right? But if you're faced with a dilemma, this is the thing that we're so often faced with. If you're faced with a dilemma, make a decision to love the person is what I'm saying. You know, don't have this standard. See, I've been guilty of this over and over again. I have this standard position. I don't give anybody money. You know, if 
I give them money, they're just going to spend it on drugs. Like every single person that's ever asked me for money, this is what happens in my brain. They only want it for drugs, you know that, don't you? Now, you don't want to let that happen in your head. If you're faced with a dilemma, make a decision to love them and let them worry about the consequences, what they're going to do with what you've given into their lives. I was, I was listening to David Guzik on this subject and, and he has a little habit of praying with them. You know. He says, hey, look, yeah, I, I, I appreciate you have a need and I'd love, to, I'd love to help you out, but here, before I give you this money, he says, I just want to pray with you. And he says, it's amazing how spiritual people get when you're going to give them money. Um, But he prays a strong prayer. And the strong prayer is that, you know, this money um, that I'm I'm giving to you, Lord, I pray that you would bless it in your life. That this money will bring blessing and fruitfulness and and help you in your life. But then he says, I pray equally strongly. If you you intend to use this money for things that are not going to bless your life, then I pray it will be a curse upon you and that you will never receive any money ever again. (laughs) And he says, do you still want the money? (laughs) Well, you might think that's harsh. I don't know. I don't know. But here's the thing, I'll say it again. If you're faced with that dilemma, do I, don't I? Make the decision to love them. This is what the Bible commands us to do. Make the decision to love them, and I'll say it again, let them worry about the consequences of what they're going to do with your blessing to them. God is going to honour you for loving the stranger. That's the important thing. As well as blessing their life, of course, you know. You know. Accept it once and for all, Christian. Please, will you do this? Accept this once and for all. Everyone who is willing to love the unlovable will eventually get taken advantage of. See, if you accept that right now, accept it right now, then you're not going to be perplexed by this thing. You're not going to let these, these, these principles build up in your life and are not going to allow you to help anybody because I got taken. No, join the club. We all get taken. We all get abused. We all get used. Every single one of us. Why? Because that's what love is. Love is something that is willing to be injured, isn't it? Love makes you vulnerable, doesn't it? Love exposes you, doesn't it? We've got to make a choice to love. Certainly not make a choice to close ourselves down lovelessly. Love is like that. It makes you lovable. Don't, but don't let anything make you stop loving is what I'm trying to say. Don't get sour on love we might say, just because people have taken part, taken advantage of your generosity. No. The Jewish people honoured hospitality. It's in their blood. It's in their... Let me read this to you. They had a saying that stated, there are six things a man would, would be regarded for in this world and the world to come. Two of those things were hospitality to strangers and visiting the sick. In fact, Abraham was regarded as outstanding for his hospitality. Therefore, this, this, this 
quote says, it was assumed that a true son of Abraham must love strangers. Certainly, hey, Christians shouldn't do any less, don't you think? We shouldn't do any less. So, I know this is simple, but love amongst the saints, love amongst the strangers, choose, choose, choose to do so. And now it's love those that are in bonds and those that are hurting. Look at verse 3. Remember those that are in bonds as bound with them and those who suffer adversity as being yourself also in the body. It's, he's talking about those in prison is what he's talking about. When you empathize with those in prison in this context, you are exercising true compassion. You know, Because this is not talking about people that are in prison for being bad people. That's not what they're talking about. You see, the community that he's talking to, yes, there's a place for prison ministry. Don't misunderstand me. You know, and it's a great ministry if you're a part of it. That's not what this is. You see, the Christians in the early church, they had trouble staying out of prison. Did you know that? They had trouble staying out of prison because they were persecuted for their faith. And the thing is, about prison in those days... Is not like prison today. It's not a five-star gig back then like it is today. See, prisons in those days were a holding place where you were held and you would never be guaranteed that you would get food, that you would get, that you would get clothing. You were simply just held there and it was a responsibility of those that loved you. Great system, don't you think? The responsibility of those that loved you if you found yourself incarcerated to be provided for. You know, that's why we find Paul in his, in his epistles reminding the people that he's writing to, hey, bring the coat. Can you imagine that? Bring the coat I left with you in Troas. Bring that coat, please. What's he saying? I'm freezing cold. I need my coat. Bring the scrolls. I need something to read. You know? So that's what it's talking about there. You know? It's talking about, you know, we have our prayer meeting every, every Sunday night, you know, and and every Sunday night, we're always praising for the persecuted saints, you know. And this is taking it a step further, isn't it? If we have the opportunity to bless their lives, to provide for them, you know. One of the most ungodly characteristics is a selfish callousness, you know. Where I just don't care. I just don't care, you know. We have to have empathy for people in need. We know what empathy is, don't we? You know, it's that, it's that entering into, imaginatively entering into and understanding another person's feelings. That takes effort, doesn't it? To stand with someone where they stand. But if our typical response to all these things that I've been talking about, if our typical response is, hey, I've got enough troubles of my own without getting involved with anybody else's troubles, um, if that's me, then I'm not being Christian. You know that? That's not Christian by nature. The best way to get rid of your own problems, you know how to do it? 
Yeah, exactly. The best way to get rid of your own problems is by investing yourself in somebody else to help eliminate their problems, you know? You lose yourself in, in other people's lives, you know? Because we can all sit around and we can get all self-focused and we can be full of self-pity to the point that we become, as I said, and terribly, terribly troubling when I become selfish and callous in my heart towards those around me because I've got enough on my own plate. Well, everybody's got enough on their own plate. I don't care who you are. Everybody has. There's an answer here. Start standing with other people. Lose yourself in their needs. Honestly, if we do become preoccupied with our own problems, we cannot be empathetic towards others. We simply cannot. We cannot be who we were saved to be. We can't be. What does Galatians 6.2 tell us? It says, bear one another's burdens. In so doing, you fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. We need to bear up under. That's what it means, doesn't it? Bearing someone's burdens. What does that mean? It means taking a load. Not just taking it off them, but taking it with them. Helping to support them. Feel what they feel. That's what Christ did for us, isn't it? That's what Jesus did. Again, it's the writer of Hebrews that tells us, we, we have not a high priest who cannot be touched, it says, with the feelings of our infirmities, but who was at all points tempted like we are yet without sin, it says of Jesus Christ. He knows every trial that you and I have ever been through and ever will be through, go through. He knows every pain, experience it all. Therefore, we should follow his example and empathetically, empathetically, you said that wrong, didn't I? You know what I meant to say. I'm going to try and say it again. I won't be able to. With empathy, lose ourselves in the cares of others. See, Christian ethic begins by expressing love and sympathy to others, whether they are brothers or whether they are strangers, the writer tells us. Um, we see it in these exhortations, don't we? And what we see here. You can argue over who is the writer of Hebrews until you go to be with the Lord and find out. But what we see here is a preacher calling the church to be all that it can be. Now this might have been a little bit prickly. This might have been a little bit hard for some of us this morning. But you know what's being described here? This has been described us at our most beautiful us at our most beautiful, what we should be. This very short passage takes us beyond the truth that we are Christians all of one body. Well, we love that. But here's the thing. If that is the only truth that we know, that we are just one body, then that can lead us to a holy huddle syndrome where we sit around practicing our faith, you know, polishing one another's halos, making ourselves feel good about ourselves. And we lose sight of our shared humanity. What's our shared humanity? It's what, what we looked at in the first three chapters of Romans. is that Christ has come for all humanity. And all mankind needs a saviour. And we lose sight of that. This passage says we must choose to continue in brotherly love. Even when we are frustrated. Even when we have an excuse to say no. We must ask ourselves, Right? Do I usually, this is the question, I got to the end of this, this study and I thought, I've got to ask myself this question. 
So I'm asking you the same question. Do I usually make my decisions on the basis of how the outcome will affect me first and the others next? Did you hear that? Is that what I make my decisions based upon? The passage simply says we must choose hospitality. It doesn't say weigh it up. It doesn't say measure it against your own experience, against your own feelings, against your own journey. It doesn't say any of that. It just says choose it. Choose hospitality. Love strangers. How would I rate my hospitality? I'm not, it's not good. I got to the end of this, this study and I thought, man, you, you, you suck, quite frankly. You know, you really do. It's because it's relatively easy to be hospitable to those that I like and those that I have things in common with. But to have the courage to open up my home to those who have need of food and shelter, maybe a hot shower, you know? Is my fear, it's the same thing, is my fear of being inconvenienced or taken advantage of greater than my willingness to meet the need? These are the questions I ask myself. I can't let risk prevent me from ministering to others because that's why I'm here. That's why you're here. Otherwise, the whole thing's a joke. If Jesus just left me here, you know, after getting saved for another 50, 60, 70 years to suffer through this world, then to go to glory, and there's no purpose for being here, oh, I'm here, all right. And I'm here with purpose. I'm here to minister to others. I have said it over and over again. You've got to have a visual image of what it is to be a Christian. And it's not to stand where I'm standing over top and looking down upon people. That's not the visual image you want in your head. What you want is this. You want to disappear, remember? You want to disappear from the sight of others. And you want to come up underneath and you want to live. That's what life should be. That's what the Christian faith is all about. That's what Jesus did. Took our burdens. And we are called to do the same thing. So, don't forget those that suffer. Don't forget those that are imprisoned. Don't forget those that are mistreated. Don't get lost in our little holy huddle here. Just looking after each other here. Oh, Life is so much more important to those out there. It really is. Never forget this. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 25? He says in verse 36 and verse 40, he says, if you minister to a Christian prisoner in the name of Christ, who do you minister to? But you minister to Christ yourself. Brotherly love, hospitality, empathy. That's the beautiful walk. That's what it is. That's when we are at our most beautiful. And I think that's what the world takes notice of. I really do. Can I read you... I want to finish with a quote. Another one I found. And this is just an example, okay, of what Christian hospitality was... Um, if you guys want to come up, if you're doing something else, come on up as I read this. This is just an example of what, um, from, the, from the early church. And I don't say this to, con- I don't read this to condemn, but just to let us know, this is, this is, the, heart of, this is the heart of Christ. 
A striking instance of the brotherly love of the early Christians transpired in the great plague that raged around Alexandria during the reign of Galanius. I'm not sure who he was. And the first appearance of the syndrome, the heathen, this is what they did. They drove the infected man from their sight. They tore themselves from their dearest connections. They threw their friends half dead into the street and left their dead unburied. But in contrast with this cruel selfishness, the Christians, in, their, in the abundance of their brotherly love, as their, as their bishop Dionysus wrote down, says, did not spare themselves, but mutually attending each other, they would visit the sick without fear and ministering to each other for the sake of Christ, cheerfully gave up their lives with them. Many died after their care had restored others to health. Many who took their bodies of their Christian brethren into their hands and bosoms and closed their eyes and buried them with every mark of attention soon followed them in death. Now that's, I don't know if you heard that, but they basically laid down their lives. What did Jesus say? No greater love. No greater love. As a man that he would lay down his life for his, who? His brother. Jesus told a parable to ask who are our brothers. Remember the parable? Yeah. The Good Samaritan, who is your neighbour? It's anybody who has a need. That's who your neighbour is. Anybody who has a need. Let brotherly love continue. How do you feel about that? Good? God bless you. Let's worship God.